My name is Zach Couples, and you're listening to the Talk Carby to Me podcast. I wanted to share a little bit about my daily routine and how each of my days starts. Upon waking up around 5.45, 6 o'clock, uh, within about 30 seconds, I'm already engaged in a full sprint due east, directly staring into the sun to make sure that I'm resetting my circadian rhythm correctly and waking up. I'm also barefoot, so I'm grounded. At the conclusion of this, I dump myself into an ice bath and I sit in there and I think about all the goals that I'm gonna accomplish for the day. After which I get dressed and I head to the gym and I do no less than 30 to 45 minutes of corrective exercise with rubber bands around my ankles, my knees, my wrists. Sometimes I might creep one around the, around the neck, shoulder area. How am I doing so far? You know what? I think you've hit all of the keys necessary to be a successful entrepreneur on the internet. Right. Yeah. Like, like let's get fired up. And like, after that, I like the workout just goes and it's just, yeah. it's a magical thing every single time. That's, that's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> you sound yes. like one of my patients or clients actually. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not surprising. It's some of the things that I, that I hear from clients that, uh, that come to me and like, Oh, what's your day like? And just take me through a normal day. Like, Oh, I heard about this and I read this and, um, the amount of things out there now that will achieve gains and all these mobility, these great mobility aspects and kind of lead you towards your health and wellness are absolutely wild. Yeah, I would agree. Well, I think, you know, there's, you have a lot of people who are uh, hurting and in pain or just not moving or doing the things they want to do in life uh, the way they can. And it's, I think with social media, it's really easy to fall into various traps of go after this, go after that, go after that. And, um, one of the things I try to do is, is to get, not do that. So when I work with, with clients, now I tell them, congratulations, you've graduated from YouTube and social media, you're now going to get the stuff that you actually need. So you don't waste time. Exactly. Uh, a big part of what, what my focus has been over the last few years has really been kind of like mastering the craft of we meet, you tell me what's going on. I take a look at you. And then we see what baby steps we can take to give you access into new areas of movement that you didn't previously have. Um, that's honestly how I came across your content. I had a trainer probably, I want to say 2016, 2017. And we started doing with, uh, some hook lying breathing exercises, right? At that time I was relatively new to the gym, tons of back pain. Lo and behold, a few months of that haven't had back pain since barring a few, you know, just ego lifting days, uh, which are going to creep in there. Um, but yeah, social media has been an interesting place. It's really hard to sift through and kind of get a good understanding of like what you might need, what you might be missing. Um, what's that thing that if you just did it a few times for maybe two to three minutes might be a game changer for you. Um, ironically, I've always kind of operated with the exception of the breathing exercises, much in part that I've learned from, from you and your work. Uh, I've kind of always operated that like on April 15th, 1988, I warmed up and I got ready. And then, then we just kept going ever since. Um, nice. so ironically i do have a little bit of like a kind of like a pinch nerve thing going on right now so it's kind of like a welcome to 2024 maybe we should uh you know work in some new drills but um 
I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad to have you on here. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Zach Couples, this will be a ride. Uh, definitely take some notes on what we're about to talk about because uh, this man is legit when it comes to biomechanics. Well, I, I appreciate the kind introduction and uh, yeah, I'm ready to get after it, man. So, yeah. So by trade, you are, would you classify yourself as a physical therapist? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Physical therapist, uh, strength conditioning coach, uh, double in nutrition from time to time. Um, but those are the big things. But I, I, I try to dip my knowledge into a lot of different things so I can almost act as a case manager for many people if they're looking at maximizing their health performance or if they're dealing with pain because you know my skill set I can only do so much and a lot of the people who I work with end up having a lot of other things going on and maybe they need to get a sleep study maybe they need to work with a nutrition coach who's beyond my skill set maybe they need surgery um, and so I can act as a I also act as a liaison for those relationships as well so people can reach their goals. And that's, that's really what it's about. It's just giving them whatever tools they need, even if they're beyond me, uh, to help them succeed. Oh, for sure. So how did you get started into physical therapy? Well, I was actually originally going to be a chiropractor because I, uh, my coach in a cross country and track coach in high school was a chiro and I thought he did some cool stuff. And then I and ran collegiately and I wasn't very good. And because I'm insecure, I try to be the best at everything I can do. And so I ended up like doing, uh, like going on a crazy diet and I ended up lifting a lot of weights and stuff like that. And I really fell in love with the training process during that time in movement because uh, it helped me go to the next level with my running. And I ended up falling more in love with that than running itself. And so that led me to the physical therapy side because I thought, oh, physical therapy, well, it's kind of like training in a way, but it pays a little bit more and it, it can help people in pain. Cool. And so that's how I got into it. And I went to PT school and then I ended up interning with uh, Bill Hartman, who's my mentor. He's one of the yep. best PTs out, out there. Um, and that really just changed everything for me. So um, and, and he's 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 been a mentor and friend ever since. Uh, and, and that's pretty much how I got into it. And then I've kind of worked uh, the gamut of different settings um, to help a wide variety of people, ranging, for, ranging from people in chronic pain to professional basketball to athletes to a lot of movement professionals who have beaten themselves up in the gym and want to get back to training and uh, feeling better. And that's been pretty much my journey. Yeah. When, when you met Bill for the first time, did you feel like, like you guys were from different planets? It was kind of, so I had heard of Bill through T Nation and Men's Health, and I'm like, oh, he sounds like he's doing cool stuff. I should go learn from him because I would like to do that. Yeah. And it was kind of like meeting a rock star in the beginning. And it was intimidating. Bill's kind of, uh, he can be hard to read sometimes, especially if you don't know him. Yeah. Um, so um, it was kind of intimidating in a sense when I first met him. Um, but, but he's, he's brilliant and he's, he was an excellent teacher and I'm, I'm really grateful for him because, uh, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the methods that I use right now, I've, I've learned from him and have adapted just, to my own population and with my own experiences. Yeah. I remember the first time, uh, listening to his content and him going through, uh, assessments and what's going on at the different joints. Uh, I sat there 
I think I was a PT for about, or a trainer for about three years at this point. Uh, and I just kind of sat there puzzled for a, a moment after like absorbing it all in. And I was like, wow, it was, it was almost like, it was like, you take the red pill or the blue pill. And then it was like, oh my God, like there's all these other things. Um, so that was awesome to see. So that's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's sharp. It, it's a bit of a learning curve to learn from him, but he's a sharp guy. Oh, for sure. Uh, I prefer to learn that way. Like, like that's the, the level of content that I like. Uh, I think part of it with me, I'm always trying to learn more. So if it's like content that like, maybe I'm not quite ready to understand. And which when I first came across you guys, I really wasn't, to be honest with you. Um, it forced me to like, Hey, there's more to learn here and there's more to, to kind of stick to and go towards. And, uh, it's been a great help with a lot of the clients that I work with and a lot of the populations, uh, that I see. Yeah, that's awesome. If when you look at PT, right, what are some of the miscommon uh, or some of the common uh, myths that surround the, the practice of physical therapy? It depends on who you're talking to. I think um, many patients think it's either stretching or massage. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, hey, he gave me these stretches. It's not always stretches. Um, and so uh, I think there's a lot more to it than that. I think, and I, I can't speak for all physical therapists, but we have the potential to develop a very broad skill set where we can help someone who is in the worst of pain to someone to the highest of performance and help bring them along the continuum towards wherever their goal is that they want to be. And I think what's cool about our profession is we can we can have access to more skills than maybe someone else who doesn't have some of the, the manual skills or medical background um, lacks. And so I, I think that's that's really the difference in, in what physical therapy has the potential to be. Um, I think uh, a misconception within the practitioners themselves is um, I think a lot of it's surrounding what what is what the heck is considered evidence based because we are a very um, very young field. There's not much that's concrete out of there. We have to operate with a lot of uncertainty. We have to draw from a lot of different um, domains to try to make decisions for our patients and clients. But I think the the nice thing about it is most of the interventions that we're going to do are lower risk. So it's much easier to, to conduct things that are like safe to fail experiments where you can try something. And if it doesn't work, well, probably not going to kill the person, um, except that <laughs> one time, but, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. And I think that's one thing that's really unique about physical therapy is you can make those safe to fail experiments. And the feedback is often immediate because you can oftentimes get quick range of motion changes if you do something really well and, or, bad range of motion changes if you do something that doesn't. And so I think it really depends on the the lens that you're looking at physical therapy from. Yeah. Well, one thing that I run into a lot, because uh, there have been times where something is just out of my scope. And I'm like, hey, just go, you know, head to a, a PT, a physical therapy clinic. Uh, we got a great one in town here. And they're like, oh, I haven't gone to my doctor yet. And I'm like, you can, you can just go to them. You don't need, they're like, you don't, you're, you don't need your doctor. Granted, that does you know happen if you have surgery and or an injury and something like that. But um, you can just show up much like you would 
any kind of service provider and, you know, they can work with you and get you through some things. Um, the risk factor that you mentioned, was that one of, one of the reasons you shifted from looking at chiropractor to physical therapist? Not necessarily. Um, I actually observed my coach one summer and I kind of worked for him and it just, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of manual stuff and it wasn't what I thought it was. Whereas I wanted to have a little bit more of an exercise focus and, and, uh, things of that nature. And so that's why I made the, the jump. I mean, I, physical therapists do manipulations, um, and, and I've been known to do those from time to time. So I don't, I don't look at that as being the, the reason why I didn't do it. It's interesting. You mentioned, uh, a lack of knowledge of direct access. Cause I, <clears throat> there's some places where I think people run into that. I don't really run into that much in Las Vegas. Really? People think like, oh yeah, I can come see the physical therapist or me, you know, but I'm also in cash pay. So I think, um, and maybe it's just my skill set that I offer. A lot of the people who come to me, uh, have tried a lot of other things or they, they're familiar with my content and they know what I'm about. And so they feel that it's pretty normal to come to me, um, without necessarily having the doctor's referral or they've already seen the doctor and many other providers, but it's interesting that you had mentioned that. Yeah. That's, that's been something that I've run into. I'm like, oh, you can just go there and like say, Hey, I got, they got this going on and you know, they can, they can help you out. Um, yeah. And the, the only reason I asked about the risk factor with chiropractor, you know, you mentioned that one time is just cause I've witnessed like a chiropractic session and I was like, Oh my God, you just killed this girl. And then he's like, Oh, everything's fine. The girl's fine. You know, the, a bone, you know, the, the neck cracked, their spine got realigned. I'm like, Oh, I could never. I... <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, there, there is risk. It's mostly with cervical spine based stuff. Um, it's small, but, but there is a risk there of potentially uh, vertebral artery dissection, but I don't know what the incidence is or how often it's reported. Um, but, I think one thing, and maybe this is another misconception, is some of the explanations provided about what's going on are not actually what's going on. For example, you're not putting things back in place. You're not realigning bones. That's not what seems to be happening with something like adjustments or manipulations. Most of the evidence shows the noise is likely, and this is only shown in the spine, not necessarily in the, you know, the joints in the arms and the legs but you're likely getting just a gas bubble formation within the synovial fluid in the joint. And that's what makes the pop. Um, and many of the changes probably are neurophysiological. So you get, you know, neurological changes that maybe reduce muscle activity or produce pain relieving chemicals to help people feel better. And there's also probably some changes within the, like the viscoelastic properties of some of the tissues. And so viscoelasticity, think about it like um, silly putty is a viscoelastic tissue. So if you pull it fast, it breaks, but if you pull it slowly, it, it moves. So it deforms and, and our tissues work similarly. And so you probably get all of those changes within something like, well, really anything, but especially like a manipulation or an adjustment more so than putting things out of place or breaking up scar tissue, et cetera. That makes sense. So when you're looking at human movements and just how they interact, um, what are some of the things that you see most common as far as the things that are holding people back from like a pain-free existence or 
those movement capabilities or the degrees of rotation that we'd like to see in the joints. Most people have a reduction of available space to move within their bodies. So when I say space, I mean the areas to access within a given joint. So for example, if I have bones that are moving closer together, there's less space for the synovial fluid to shift within those bones. And that can happen when there's increased muscle activity, among other things. And so a lack of available motion impacts what areas of your body you can load. Usually that makes the loading more pinpoint. And it can impact what motions you can express. And the way we lose that space is by increasing muscle activity in a specific manner so we can better deal with external forces. So that could be staying upright against gravity. That could be dealing with any type of, you know, sport or physical activity. That could be walking. That could be mental stress. All of these things create this adaptive response to deal with those, those, those forces and stressors. And generally, what will happen with people to deal with that is they will tend to shift their center of gravity or their weight forward and to the right. They go forward because that allows you to stay extend, which keeps you more upright. And then to the right, because your internal organs create a normal predisposition to rotate right. And it has to do with the heart on the left, liver on the right. Everyone's spine has somewhat of a right rotation unless your organs are flip-flopped. And so you do those two things. And then you, if you have progressively greater muscle activity over time, it reduces space even further. And so that sequence leads to pretty much all of the movement restrictions that we would see. And to improve that, all we do is we just reverse engineer that process. So we open up overall range of motion. We get people to learn how to shift their center of gravity backwards, and we get them to turn left. And a lot of times if you can do that, especially at higher intensities, you generally move better, you feel better, and you have more movement options available. I like it. So when you look at movement options and kind of going through that process, how much of a role does breathing play into what's happening as the, the body is trying to go through motion uh, when it's limited in some areas? Breathing is the way that we increase or decrease our available space. And so in order for you to inhale and pull air in, your body literally has to get bigger. Otherwise, the lungs can't fill. And so being able to manipulate breathing in specific ways literally changes your body's physical shape and it increases space. So it's, it's quite important. And the other thing that's cool about breathing is your entire body plays a role in pulling air in. Um, when you breathe in, sure, the lungs fill, but the way the lungs fill is by the diaphragm descending. And when the diaphragm descends, it moves the internal organs downward towards the pelvis. That impacts the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor has connections to the hip joint. So your hip range of motion that is or isn't available will be impacted. And so you can lead to uh, the cool thing about breathing when it comes to improving or affecting movement is by working on the way that we use the breath, the quality, among other things, we can affect a much broader area 
on a person as opposed to doing more localized treatments. And that's not to say that localized treatments are bad, but you can probably get as far, if not farther, by utilizing a more global strategy along with that. I like it. That makes sense. I found for me, one of the biggest helps for me was being able to breathe, like inhale correctly into a good, like a good nasal inhale, really fill out, really expand. That's helped me tremendously with my shoulder mobility, which historically has been terrible. I mean, most of my life I played video games. Uh, I commuted a lot to work. So I was in that, you know, in this posture all the time. And that helped me really open up and understand kind of what was going on where it's like, why are my ribs flaring? Like what is happening here? Like, why am I in this super bent position? Um, so I found that to be a game changer with, and with almost everyone. And the funny thing about it too, is working with a client who, whether they have a busy job, a busy day, it's kind of hectic and you get them in a very simple breathing position and like, Hey, big inhale. And then kind of just like, you know, relax, melt into the floor or whatever surface you're, you're performing this on. Uh, it kind of just that in itself, just them relaxing, kind of gets them to loosen up a little bit, um, which is great, especially uh, to begin to, to begin a session. Um, so I, I, I jokingly, in the beginning, about you know my 30 to 45 minutes of corrective exercise, uh, I worked in a commercial gym for, I worked at Lifetime for probably about three years before that I was at Equinox, before that. Uh, a smaller gym, but still commercial type. And I, looking around the gym, you see like trainers working with clients and it's like half the session is, you know, rubber band this, rubber band that, and let's do all that stuff. Uh, what are the ways that you found to be effective, but also efficient as far as like the onset of a workout session that allow for a, a very productive session to go well? Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I'm working in a, uh, kind of a commercialist gym now. And the thing that I see the most is I see a lot of trainers on their cell phones while they're with their clients. That's what stands <laughs> out to me. Drives but, me nuts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so when I'm programming stuff for people, um, the entire program focuses on two things. It focuses on maximizing the amount of range of motion that they need to do the things they want to do. And then when it comes to building more fitness qualities, I work within their available constraints. So that way we minimize trade-offs, right? If someone, for example, if someone can only raise their arm just a little bit above 90 degrees, overhead pressing is probably not a good choice for them. So I just take that to another level and I base that off of someone's physical structure. There's certain people who are not built as well to perform hinge-like activities such as deadlifts. They might be better with squatting. And that doesn't mean that a hinge is bad, but maybe that's not your, your top strength exercise for that person. And so when I'm, when I'm programming someone or when someone's thinking about, about uh, designing a program for themselves or their, their clients, uh, they need to factor those two things in. And so the whole program is, is what helps them move better. So in my stuff, a lot of my, you know, classic breathing stuff might only be one to three moves at the most. Um, and then there's elements within the warm-up that are stoking the same things. There's things within some of their power-based stuff that's working, kind of bridging the gap almost. I could I can kind of go either way with someone, depending on if it's more 
deceleration focused or more force production. And then with a lot of the strength and conditioning pieces, accessories, that's when I start to use things that they have available to exploit fitness. And then as we get towards more like the accessory work, conditioning, things like that, then I'm working on things that maybe are just a little bit beyond their capabilities movement wise. So we can kind of both build fitness and improve mobility at the same time. But I don't, I don't see movement as a separate, you do these drills and then you go do whatever you want to do. It's you design a program with your goals in mind and you focus on maximizing range of motion and then improving fitness qualities while minimizing joint wear. And, and that's, that, that to me is how you can be as comprehensive as possible and, and keep people healthy as they pursue their health and fitness goals. Yeah, that's the name of the game. Uh, I think one of the things that really grinds my gears to a degree is when you, you meet someone who's had a different fitness professional in the past and some of those things that you just touched on weren't taken into account and it almost kind of limited what they were able to achieve. Um, and so from our lens, it's like, you know, whether depending where, what your competency level is or your level of education or, you know, it's like, oh, well, we did, we weren't aware of that. But from their lens, it's, it just compounds onto that. Well, my goal was to feel better, be in less pain. This isn't going to happen for me. And it can be uh, discouraging from that. So going through movement and motion, you talk a lot about the stack and what's going on at the rib cage and the pelvis. So talk to me a little bit about that. So the stack is not a posture you hold. That's the first thing I have to say. It's more a result. It's what it, what it is, is it's the ability to attain some imaginary middle that is included within someone having access to all of their available movement options, meaning they have as, as much physiological joint range of motion as they should within all their joints so that they, they can be healthy and do the things they want to do. And that appears as though when someone has the head, the top of the torso, the top of the pelvis. Um, and, and so the, the way that I get people to get that is by focusing on, focusing on movement-based strategies that help us gain that motion. And so much of this centers around breathing. Uh, the, the five things that I focus on with that is head position. So you wanna make sure that the head is in a position to where the upper airway is as open as possible. So that way you can allow air to go in and out, which is usually slight upper like head extension. So a lot of times I'll be coaching eyes to the horizon with almost everything, whatever that relative horizon is, which is funny. I went uh, paddleboarding for the first time in the ocean when I was in, I was in Cabo recently. Ooh. And that was the very first cue that the guy gave me when I was on a paddleboard. And I'm like, there must be something to this. Um, so like that's it. the first thing. Yeah. Second thing is how, how you cr contact the ground. So wherever you're weight bearing, there's, there's certain things that I want to drive, whether it's the foot, the hand, the knee, whatever. So that way you're producing force into the ground so you can stay upright. The next two steps are breathing in a manner that maximizes your ability to create that space for air to go in and out. And for me, it's pretty chill, quiet in through the nose, 
out through the mouth, slow, easy, effortless, not all the way. Depending on your, your body structure, you can change things. And then the, um, the fifth thing would be just the way you're moving. So um, generally, I will pace the degree of the concentric or the shortening phase of a movement with an exhale. And then the inhale is associated with more the eccentric or the elongation phase. And I run through those five steps with literally every exercise to some degree. Now, if it's like plyometrics, I'm not like, hey, okay, breathe in as you dip down. But they are still breathing. I don't want them to hold their breath when they're doing something that's fast. Um, but that whole process happens with every exercise. And the nice thing is it builds consistency within your coaching. So it makes your job easier because you're literally, I literally use the same cues with every single movement. That's all. Yeah. I've, I've become so simple in my queuing. Um, and I found that to be the most, the most effective, uh, especially when we we're going through drills, we're going through movements and for some movements, I mean, especially if you're setting someone up for a deadlift, who's not very proficient at deadlifting and, you know, their feet are probably going to be, you know, you're going to have some issues there. Uh, the hinge, especially because we live on earth and there's gravity. And at this point, most people who come to us are going to, you know, they got a little life in their belt. Um, keeping it super simple has been one of those things for me. That's been like, yes, this is attainable. If there's one thing I want you to get out of this, it's just this one thing and drill that in layer on the next thing um, and kind of build up from there. An exercise like a goblet squat. Uh, and kind of going through that. And I've, I know you, I've seen plenty of your videos that I've actually used them from your wall squat all the way to goblet squat to squatting on a ramp. Um, when we talk about center of mass and being able to control it, uh, what's going on in those positions and why does actually elevating your heels for some folks feel a little bit better and more attainable than what it usually is when it's like, here, hold this. So let's see a squat a couple times for me. So with a squat, what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to shift your weight backwards. And then you have to look at where the, um, the contents within your body are going to be sitting as you go all the way down. And so when you, if you can squat all the way, your, your internal organs will sit more in the lower front part of the pelvis. They kind of almost like scoop underneath. Um, and if, uh, for example, someone who, has maybe a lot of central adiposity or a large belly, they can't get the guts to go low. So they all oftentimes can't squat as deep. Um, I was living proof of that. I gained like 30 pounds one year and normally I can squat decent and I could not even break parallel. It's pretty wild. Um, so what a ramp does is it helps, help, helps you with that backward shift. Because when you put your foot on a sloped position downward, the ankle is in more plant flexion or the, the shin shifts backwards. And so it, it, when that happens, it promotes more external rotation through the legs. That rotation is needed to be able to squat low. And so that's what makes it a little bit easier to do that on a ramp. It's, it can be done with feet flat. It's just more difficult because you don't have that assistance to get into the positions you need to be successful. Yeah. 
I personally, uh, the first time I squatted with it, it was like a, it's like a whole new day. Like the air was cleaner, coffee smelled better. I was like, oh wow, this is this is attainable. And o- over time, I've been able to uh, get pretty good with it with uh, no ramp. Uh, but it's very interesting, and it's almost like you meet someone for the first time, and you're like, oh, let's see a squat and go through it, and like, oh, okay, you know, we need to work on some stuff. Uh, and then you put them in that position and then it just suddenly seems very attainable for them. And they're like, oh, there's hope for me. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of my, one of my favorite things. I've never done it. I see it a lot on uh, social media. I've never done it on a back squat though. Um, as far as like ramp on a back squat, like what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, a back squat is like, so if, like we, a ramp is going to make you much more vertical in your squat. If you look at a back squat, that is probably the least vertical squat. So that meaning your torso is going to normally be a bit more pitched forward in comparison to other squats. Um, so in some individuals, a ramp could be counterproductive if you have a hard time getting that forward pitch. But it could be useful if you are having a difficult time achieving depth, but maybe ramps aren't the choice. Maybe you use Olympic lifting shoes. They work similarly. Um, but it depends on what your, what your goal is with the squat. You know, if you're, let's say you're Olympic weightlifter and you're someone who uses more high bar in your back squat, a, uh, a, uh, ramps or, uh, Olympic lifting shoes could be much more useful in that sense. Only reason I, I just curious, just general curiosity on that, just mostly I see someone back squatting and I'm like, well, you kind of, you know, you want, do want that slight pitch a little bit. Obviously, if you're a little bit more vertical, you run the higher risk of, you know, dropping the bar backwards or falling backwards. So I um, was just curious to pick your brain on that. I will say, though, there there was a, a research study that came out, I forget when it was, it, it's probably, it's been within the last 10 years. But um, they did show that as soon as the bar goes on your back, um, and that's either bar or 50% body weight in these subjects, uh, the lumbar spine does, does round. It does become, it, it becomes kyphotic. So there is still some verticality to it. It's just less compared to other stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. I have to check that out. I like that. I like, I like a lot of this new studies that are coming out. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it does kind of seem that we as an industry far outpace the science. Um, and you see a lot of, you know, things that we currently do now. And then two years later, like the study comes out and it's like, oh, this is actually the thing. And it's like, yeah, welcome to, you know, <laughs> welcome to fitness. Um, so transitioning into posture a little bit um, and kind of going into assessment, like when you meet someone and you're checking out their postures. Uh, I know commonly, you know, most people are like, oh, you've got an anterior pelvic tilt. Uh, you've also got maybe a little bit of sway back going on. Is what's been taught as maybe the, the common tongue when you like take your PT exam and you go through, in your experience, have you found that to be the most effective way to, to attack those postures or um, how would you, how do you go about them? So it's hard to, uh, I I think a lot of people fall victim to seeing what they want to see when it comes to some sort of postural before and after. 
and then you start to make people aware of you're in this position and so they can change that to some extent um you know volitionally so i don't even though i will see some postural changes in people it's not my focus point and um the way i make those changes is more by looking at what ranges of motion they do not have access to and getting them those motions for example if i have someone who's got a sway back posture if you don't know what that is that's when the hips are kind of tucked underneath the the torso um, oftentimes that's associated with the loss of hip internal rotation and their toe touch isn't always great and i can get measurable changes within those and even if visually they still look a certain way they potentially have access to more movement than they had previously and that can be impactful for many reasons but um posture in and of itself isn't the problem the problem is if there are a lack of other possible postures that one can get their body into um, and i believe it was peter drucker who said what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed and i totally bastardized that quote sorry peter um I think it's it's backward. Is it what what is it what managed, managed it, measured? What get, what gets measured? What gets managed gets measured. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, we know where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. That yeah. But you you got to look at stuff and then do the thing and then see if that stuff improves. It's harder to do that with a visual representation, especially for yourself because we look at ourselves very skewed. Um, a good example of that, and I'm going to kind of go out there with this, is someone with anorexia. They mm. view themselves as being overweight, obese. Um, and there's actually, there was a, oh gosh, I can't remember the study. But they, they looked at what that individual's um, peripersonal space looks like within their brain. And it's, it looks massive. And so what they do when they have this massive space is they make themselves smaller within that space. So you you want to try to find as objective of a measure as possible to inform your decision-making. And for me, I trust my ability to look at motion changes more so than I do visual posture changes. Yeah, that's, it's a, that's a super interesting study that you just brought up. And I think thinking about that with people and clients that I've met that have some sort of whether it be body dysmorphia or anorexia, um, that makes a lot of sense. I've always kind of looked at posture and obviously the barring some kind of crazy situation you got going on where like literally like just the lack of movement, like it kind of gets you. Um, it's almost like, you know, we have this posture that's formed by our, our daily life and everyone's daily life is different and our body's kind of just going to, maybe morph a little bit to it. Um, but through exercise and drills, you're able to achieve more postures, right? So when it's time to get into a squat, you now have a good squat posture because you've been working on that. When it's time to get into a good hinge, you're able to achieve that posture. Uh, and look, looking at the, you know, yourself in the mirror, like I am one of those people, I mean, I will, I sometimes look like I have a little bit of the hunchback um, thing going on sometimes a little bit of an anterior pelvic tail but once we start exercising it all goes away and i'm able to get in the shape that i need to get into to to move in the way that's optimal for my body so going through and, and you look at posture assessments 
and that's kind of what's where, where I'm going, you know, uh, segue from here. As a PT, you go through and you're like, you put them through the overhead squat assessment. Uh, I've still in seven years, I was the onboarding guy at my gym. I met all the new, the new clients. I've yet to meet someone that did an overhead squat that looked anything relative to like what we were looking for. I've also never run into someone. I've, I've met maybe three people in my life that have ever needed to be in that posture, in that position. Um, and I think you look at that, and it's like, oh, well, your back is tight. Your shoulders don't have uh, enough, enough range of motion. And oh, your calves are tight. Your heels are lifting up. Um, even like personally myself, I, I have pretty good range of motion in most of my joints. Most of the time that does, you know, shift for me a little bit depending on the season of the year, I can't even get into that position comfortably. Um, and I think that's like the, the benchmark where it's like, Hey, this is the way that we're supposed to do it. And I, I've always kind of thought of it. Like there's gotta be a better way like this. Most, like most people are one, never going to need to be in this position to probably don't have access to a lot of the things needed to get into what would be like. Oh my God, this is great. Um, so when you look at like table testing, and I know you've talked a lot about, about, about this, like, what does that allow you to do as the practitioner to be able to see? And like, what are you looking for in that process? It allowed me to constrain a specific motion because now they're on the table and I'm moving them so I can see if they have access to uh, a space within their body or not. And it's one context, but it's useful if someone's in pain um, or if you have someone who's got a lot of complex issues or you need someone who needs a specific thing. Um, and so in that sense, it's useful, but it's not the only way to measure what someone has or doesn't have. It's just a way to be much more objective about it. But you can see certain movement behaviors with a lot of the gym-based stuff. For example, if we go to the person with the sway back, a lot of times when they squat, they are someone who pushes the knees way far forward and the hips may go forward in relationship to the um, torso. Someone with an anterior tilt, they might be that person who's got that deep back arch as they descend into a squat. So you can look at a lot of other measures that way. And when I'm working with people remotely, I use a lot, a lot of dynamic tests to see what a person can or cannot do. But it, it still comes down to just knowing what you're looking at, knowing what it measures, and then if someone doesn't have access to that, then it should inform your strategies on how to get that thing. So, you know, I don't, I don't use an overhead squat that much, but something like an inline lunge, that actually could be really useful because that gives you an appreciation for how much internal rotation someone has because there's things about a split squat and there's things about having your legs in line that bias you towards internal rotation. And if you don't have that, do you need to measure on the table? Eh, maybe not. Maybe you could just use that and get someone better at that. And um, that, that's really, it's like, there's nothing special about table tests. It's just convenient. And um, it, it, it kind of circles back to what I was saying before about a comprehensive movement um, program. You, you could apply the same thing to all of your assessments. You just have to know what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, it, there are tons there's tons of ways to kind of achieve everything. And I think uh, as we, the longer I think most of us spend in our field, uh, we kind of start to pick up on that and we come across different ways that work and like, oh, like, you know, I can see this, this lack, this lack of movement in a specific area very easily in this movement. So 
I'm going to go through that. I mean, one, th- one way that I like to check out a person's hinge uh, is I just give them a medicine ball and say, hey, do a couple overhead slams just to see naturally, you know, if they're moving what to them is going to feel fairly fluidly. Like, what does your skeleton look like as, you know, you're going through this process as opposed to like, here's a bar, slide it down your legs and let's see what happens. Um, of course, I you know, might mix in a couple of that as we learn the movement itself. But um, yeah, so when we go into human matrix talk to me about that well human matrix is (laughs) all it is is we're trying to do two things we're trying to increase the available space aka maximize motion and then be able to maintain that new motion under load that's the goal of the course but there's a problem. Not everyone's built the same. You have people who have different structural archetypes or structural predispositions that will make them have an easier time accessing certain motions than others. And that's something I think that goes underappreciated when it comes to movement. And so with the seminar, we are trying to gain motion and improve force production, but do so respecting that structure. And so what you get with the course is learning how to appreciate the way movement works in a, in a way that I hope blends all movement systems together. You get to learn to appreciate structural bias and how that influences movement. And then we learn how to test to see if that motion is there or not. So that way you can learn certain movement behaviors someone may or may not be doing that does relate to posture to some extent. Um, And then it's a matter of being able to coach people through position so they can gain motion and then manage under load. And then the final thing with human matrix is being able to put it all together. And so at the end of the course, it's my favorite thing uh, that the attendees must design a program for someone in the course. Um, So that way they apply what they've learned. And that's, that's the basic premise of, of it. It's, it's a snippet of, it's the starting point for what I do. And so if, if you care about your people or yourself moving well, and you want to be able to be more comprehensive with your programming so you can help more people, then you should probably give it a shot. As I like to say, come on down. (laughs) You should have, uh, you should have busted out the leather jacket threw on the shades, you know, I do have the leather jacket still, but I had the 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 shades that just attached to the um, the nose bridge, and I don't know what I did with them. It's really sad. <laughs> yeah, right before you logged in, uh, me and Matt, the editor, we were taking a look at your YouTube channel, and like I opened it up, it's like, oh yeah, he's got a YouTube channel. Like here's the here's the channel, and that video just started playing automatically. Oh, yeah. it's hilarious. Uh, so I love it. Um, so human matrix, right? So is, is that open to professionals? Is that open to general public? Like how, how does that work? The people who come the most is movement professionals. So I have coaches, physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists, athletic trainers, all that. But I have had quite a few people who are just into movement who've, who've come to the course. I've had lawyers, I've had an engineer, I've had a math student. Nice. Um, yeah. I've had, I've had someone who's worked for a sauna. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I try to, 
when when someone comes to the course, I preface that, hey, you need to know where you're at with this stuff. And if you know you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, you want to think about certain things as you're going through the course so you can get the most out of it. And if you're not real with yourself on where you're at, that's when you get lost. Um, and so, yeah, but I've had some people say, yeah, Zach, I'm not in the field, but I was able to follow this along. And I try to teach it in a manner so that way it's, we don't get lost in jargon. We don't have to sweat anatomy too much. You don't hear me talking a lot about specific muscles. Um, and I think that helps me reach my goal with not just the material, but with everything I do. And that's taking stuff that is can be really complex and is often that that being a barrier to implementation or you have people who gatekeep the information um, preventing it to be easily accessed and I want to boil it down and make it as simple as possible so a large majority of people can use this stuff effectively so they can reach their goals and and that's that's really what it's about and, and there's a reason why I'm on my version, I think 13.5 with this stuff is because I'm always asking, how can I make it simpler? How can I make it easier? How can I make it more fun to do? And, and that, that's my mission with this stuff and what I do. Which is awesome. Uh, I am a huge proponent. This is how I got, actually got into podcasting. Uh, you touched on like gatekeeping and uh, the simple and simpleness. Those are the, the two big reasons. Um, I, in the beginning, I found myself just blurting out any kind of buzzword um, that I could find. And I was like, I didn't even take an anatomy course. I just have the, the NASM book and I know like, you know, this muscle is that muscle. But like, you know, my client, my client Susie doesn't give a shit about what her quadriceps is doing. If I say the word quadriceps, it's like we're out of the window. Like we're, we're on dance recitals. We're on lunch later. We're on I got a, a big project at work. So um, taking that approach where it's like, I'm just going to pretend everyone's a five year old. Right. And it's like up, down, look up this way, horizon, uh, you know, let's get the, the contact points on the feet, you know, and you know, feel this against whatever structure or constraint that I, I've placed on you. Um, and the same thing with the gatekeeping. I, I think it's a great thing that you have um, such an ease of access to it. And we have so many, I was talking about this in a previous episode, we have so many fitness professionals in the world right now. And it's like, you need to do these five things. Here's the sign up link, DM me for gains in 2024. And on a micro level, you have people that are absolutely crushing it in our industry. Um, and I think when you look at like society as a whole on a macro level, I think we've accidentally with, and it's not literally infighting, uh, maybe like in existing, um, just in different, you know, our own little tribes and spheres, you look at an industry and that's one of my favorite topics to talk about. You look at all the weight loss drugs that we have now. Um, and if you look at the revenue from those versus revenue that comes from gyms, uh, probably not counting clothing, but, uh, we're just getting, to, we're getting annihilated by that industry. And I think eventually it's going to, we're going to get to a point where they will have, developed it to a degree where there might not, well, there'll, there'll be a need for us, obviously, but um, a lot of the cookie cutter stuff is just going to be, you won't have the activation energy where it's not like, oh, I need to shed 10 pounds. Let me go sign up for this summer program or this four month thing. Um, so I, I've, 
I'm like, let me give people as much access to information, whether it be my own information, my own methods, things that work for me, situations like this, where I'm talking to you and you have your expertise. And it's a completely different episode than one that we've had on the podcast to date, um, which is awesome. And it's a learning experience for myself. It's going to be for the listeners. Um, and I think it's a, it's, it's a good thing. And it's become one of my missions for 2024. Uh, I'm not really a big resolutions guy, but that is the one thing that I have just like, I want to build this library that's easy to access. That doesn't cost anything that gets people kind of move, taking the right steps. Yeah. Because you, you don't want that. You don't want a lack of knowledge to be the rate limiting step. Um, I think, uh, one of my, a uh, guy who I respect a lot, Alex Hormozzi, um, he, he said something that really resonated with me and it's give, give the information itself away for free, but charge for the implementation. Yeah. So that way there are no secrets. And that's what a lot of people need. And that's where I think like yeah, diet pills work cause they work fast, but it's not sustainable. You can't do that forever, but people do need help going from point A to point B. And I think that's where, that's where our magic is. And I mean, that's, that's essentially what the seminar is, is, um, yeah, like most of the st information, if you watch my videos and you consume my content, you'll be able to piece it together, but it's not going to help you really feel what it's like to coach someone through the, the stack or to squat in the way that I'm going to show you how to squat or to program it. It's, it's kind of like that one, it's, it's like, uh, it's like goodwill hunting. You know, when, when, uh, Robin Williams, he talks to Matt Damon about like, yeah, you can read this in a book, but you don't know what, like the Sistine Chapel smells like or something like that. It, yeah. It's, it's that. And that, and that's where I think the, the difference is. Big time. Um, and with, you know, you got diet pills, you got chat GPT coming out now that'll spit programs out that, uh, for honestly, a lot of the cookie cutter approaches, chat GPT is actually pretty good. Um, as far as like what it can put together. Yes, it is. It's crazy. I, I had it, I asked it once I said like write a program for whatever. And then I said, Hey, I have wrist pain. So I need you to modify the program to do it. And like the mods were pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of scary. Like I, I can envision a world where, you know, you just got some guy who's never stepped foot in a gym, never exercised and it's just pumping out fitness content um using an ai generated images and just an ai generated program uh and ironic probably the like some of his people are probably getting results too uh, like it's it's actually fairly impressive I, I end up using it i don't use it much for programming uh in my stuff but i do use it a lot like in what if situations um so like what if someone is like hyper jacked up in their remote and like just what's a an app uh, an artificial lens that i could provide to that yeah hundred percent. No, it's, it's great to bounce ideas off of. And also for research too, like, so good. I had a, uh, I went to see a doctor for something and he recommended this medication and I used chat GPT to say, Hey, what's the evidence for this medication for treating this condition or whatever. And it was like the, the worst rated thing, according to the reviews that it reviewed. Um, and so I'm like, Oh, okay. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, I think, I think it's going to be useful for keeping, keeping practitioners of all kinds to like elevate their game. If people know how to use it, right. That's, that's the key. Cause there's definitely a learning curve to getting the most out of it. Yeah. I definitely had to learn how to talk to it. Cause I, like, at first I was like, I was using it like Google. Um, but the, the cool thing 
after a while they, they've as they updated after a while it kind of learns your profile so like it under it'll start to understand um how to talk to it but I, i've even played around with it to a bit we're like hey i'm doing a podcast on uh elimination diets write me a script for an hour and it, it just spits out the entire script um and it's actually not bad yeah uh, which yeah. is which is super impressive um so if we could if there were five exercises right that you could implement into everyone's kind of daily life and routine that would get them the most and i know a lot of that stuff is specific to certain people but as far as like a like some macro exercises in there and drills that people could do to start improving movement um what are what would you say would be like your go-to game changers well, so when you're working with me, I don't like, I come up with new stuff all the time. So um, that makes it challenging. I think like if, if you want like the game changer, work with someone who knows what, who knows how to assess this stuff and get your specific stuff. But I, now that said, I have made some, some videos that show like, these are the five exercises I started a majority of people on it, which is true. Um, I've been doing lately, I would say that, that there's some moves I would, I would give now that I didn't back then. Um, but I'm using a lot of stuff with Swiss balls, um, which is kind of like going back to like the dead bugs and stuff like that. But you can, uh, uh, my buddy, my buddy Joe showed me one of these, um, but using that to learn how to move your arms and legs independently of your torso is really useful. Um, hook lying breathing that's also a great starting position for a lot of people i think a wall squat might be even better actually because um, i do use that for a lot of people um, i do various sideline drills that i think are really good um, like lying lying over a foam roller on the middle third of your rib cage really does wonders for a lot of people it's uncomfortable but it just helps open up the torso a lot um, that's been quite useful and then I've switching used, yeah. that I've used that one. That one's is that one's on the money. Love that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you can progress it to various side plank progressions, like that will get people pretty far. Um, like I think of like, like what are some of the terminal movement skills that I think a lot of people could benefit from? Um, side plank progressions, supine based activities to where you're able to do like flutters, dragon flag, stuff like that. Um, and and then working towards maybe even something like a handstand like that those three things would probably get you pretty far with a lot of stuff but um in terms of basic mobility i think like people would benefit well from like the sideline foam roller learning to differentiate their arms and legs from their torso you can use a swiss ball to help with that um, side plank variations um and then a squat i would say that that's four things that i would start most people with Assuming someone can hold their body weight or in the, in the event you can modify it as far as like a bar hang for shoulder. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Cause that, that gets thrown around as like, Hey, this is the exercise, uh, shoulder pain, shoulder mobility. Um, where are you at on that exercise? I'm going more back towards it than I was in the past. Um, the issue that can happen with the bar hang is if someone really has to arch their back to get their arms overhead, that's a problem. Um, 
but once so, if you do some of the stuff I talked about where you can learn to move your arms independently of your torso, um, it can be a great movement. And there's a lot of progressions that you can use within it. Um, if you want to get used to it, like just doing it with your feet on a box out in front of you can help reduce the arching of the back. But I've been doing stuff now with people where they're, I'm having them swing back and forth on the bar. So like we're working to like monkey bar progressions, doing rotations, things like that. And, and I think there's a lot of utility within that as, as well. And just the, the act of distraction through the shoulder, um, that's going to create more space. And that's how, you know, when we were cave people, we, we had to do a lot of that stuff, swinging from things, climbing, stuff like that. So I, I definitely think there's some utility in it. You just have to work up into it and make sure you're not orienting to get into position. And on the flip side, you don't want to like try to brace to prevent that from happening. You have to create the space. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned cave people and swinging around and monkey bar progressions. Uh, when I uh, when I got serious again lifting after uh, the lockdowns, um, I started to get really into Spartan racing. So I would have like some kind of bodybuilding program um, that I was working with. I was actually working with uh, Pat Davidson um, on his his program that he's been running for the last year and a half, uh, which is very pretty solid. If you haven't check it out. Um, but I was also, so I would do that. That would be my, my workout. And then I would go for some runs and I'm like, Oh, there's a Spartan race coming up. Let's, let's go have fun. And uh, if you're familiar with Spartan races, you do a lot of climbing. Um, so my grip strength was a little bit of an opportunity in that regard, as I was, you know, first getting into that. And as I just added that into my normal program, everything kind of seemed to get better and get more comfortable. Like running felt a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable for me all my presses, anything pulling, like it, it was, it's just very interesting how implementing that um, had such a big effect on kind of like the overall like feeling of going through my workout day. Yeah, I would agree. I, like to me, that stuff feels a lot more comfortable than most, most lifts at this point. Yeah. Uh, so what's next for you? Um. <laughs> Well, I just got engaged, so I'm I'm going to be getting married hopefully in the next couple of years. So that's kind of exciting. That's awesome. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that's that's my big win right now on the forefront. Um, but in terms of like professional stuff, um I'm going to try to continue to grow my seminar. Um I want to add a couple other things like a community and things like that because I think that's one thing that's probably missing from it. Um, continue to produce good content so I can just help scale the number of people I can help. And then I have coaches and clinicians underneath me now who are seeing people. And so I want to continue to facilitate their growth as much as possible because, you know, I can only, I can only do so much on my own. So anything I can do that allows me to help other people. And maybe that's by influencing a coach or a clinician, um, that's much more meaningful to me because I can make a much larger impact than the number of people I can see in a given day. And so that's where I'm headed. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that I can, you know, by, by going through that process, that the stuff that I teach becomes more of the standard because I think, um, I see the results that people can get from it when it's implemented well. And I've seen the negative things when other stuff is implemented. So, I want to try to change uh, the industry in that front. And so that's what I got next. I love it. 
And yes, as someone who sees pretty much all of your content, uh, I can vouch. We need a lot more of you everywhere. Like we, uh, in within the next few years, we need to see like this huge Zach coaching tree that just goes out to all these clinicians and everyone is just stacked up. Everyone's doing roles, like stuff like that. So um, it'd be awesome to see. And I, I, I love the goal uh, for sure. And knowing you, you're going to make it happen. I hope so, brother. Hope so. Got a lot of work ahead of me. So, yeah. Yeah. For, oh, I can relate there. All right. So, this has been awesome. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we're coming right up on time here. Um, again, guest today, Zach Couples. If you've listened to the last hour, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant person in the fitness industry. So much to learn from this man. Definitely check out his content, check out his human matrix if. Uh, that is something that you're looking to get more into as far as biomechanics. Uh, and yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate you having me.